Good morning. Let's open our Bibles to Genesis chapter 6. Going to take another look here at Noah. Just two verses, Genesis 6. Beginning in verse 13, And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch. Don't always have a title for the sermon, but this morning we do. We're going to call it The Sound That Divides. You're supposed to catch the audience's interest in the first five minutes of the message, you know. So you chew on that for a while. The sound that divides, that's the title. Uh, It's interesting, we have an expression, one man's meat is another man's poison. You ever heard that before? You know, the same thing can mean entirely different things to two different people. That's what that expression is saying. So it is with sounds. Let me give you an example. Uh, A girl's at a party. And uh, all her friends are there. She's having a great time. The 100-watt stereo system is going full blast. Everybody's talking. You know, just it's loud. It's great. And then to top it all off, her favorite song comes on the, the, the uh, stereo, and she's in seventh heaven. The only problem is it's 3 a.m. And uh, the poor guy in the bed downstairs in the lower apartment has to go to work in two hours. Now, to the girl, she's just loving that song. But the guy who was tossing aimlessly in his bed is not too happy about it. Same song, same sound, right? Two different reactions. <clears throat> Another example. We'll uh, use young people here for a while. Yeah, picture yourself, you're a young student in uh, college. Now, for some of you kids, that may be old. For me, that's young, Okay. <clears throat> You're a young student in college. Uh, it's a hot night. You got all the windows open and you got this big uh, physics test tomorrow. You've got to take it's a final and you've got to cram a semester's worth of teaching into one night. You ever been there? No. no. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, you're, you're trying to keep focused. And uh, just when you think you're about to lose it, you hear sirens. And they get louder and louder pretty soon up pulls a fire engine right across the street and an ambulance then a police car and all the radios are going you know and all the all the noise outside and you're just giving up and uh, you're you know you, you you're you're a good person you realize that it's probably a good thing to help someone but nevertheless you're frustrated but uh, the family to whom uh, the sirens were going the father just had a heart attack and uh, those sirens were the sweetest sounds they ever heard you know, they were listening while they were still a long way off. <clears throat> Same sound, right? But two different reactions. Let me uh, bring something nearer to home here. I had this personal experience just a week ago. <clears throat> I was at the dentist. The sound of drilling. How many like the sound of a dentist drill? <laughs> I, if we had a dentist in our midst... Because I cracked my last lower molar, I got three crowns on my other three, and the last one cracked. 
And so he said, we're going to have to crown it or you're going to lose it. So as I ah, lay there, you know, listening and smelling that sound of the drill, it was not a pleasant experience. But he's up there. It's the sound of money. <laughs> now, I love my dentist. He's a great guy. In fact, I'd recommend him. If you need a dentist, I'll recommend this guy to you. He's a wonderful, wonderful person. But uh, there was another sound that came later because it turns out because he got to it early, he said, I may not be able to justify this to the insurance company. You may have to pay for it. And I said, how much? He said, $800. That was not a sweet sound, but it was to him. <laughs> you get the idea? A single sound. And it can separate people to two different extremes. Isn't that interesting? You know, same sound, 800 bucks. And to one person, it's like, ah, and the other, it's, yeah, you know. <clears throat> well, that's what we're going to talk about tonight, uh, this morning, the, uh, a sound that divides. You'll find out in a minute what it is. Uh, it's really, uh, the, the, in this case, we're going to look at the sound of the construction of the ark. The sound. Um, think about it. Noah has to construct this thing. It's as big as a modern ocean liner. It took him over 100 years. That's a, that's a long time in building, huh? A hundred years. And you can just imagine, you know, I go out on 238 and they're running the jackhammers and the pile drivers, you know, and the big machines and stuff. And it's going to take, I think 2010 is the estimated opening date, several years. This one took a hundred years. And you can just imagine the sound of, of Noah's hammer. Now, don't think of your Stanley, you know, nicely shaped rubber grip hammer. It would have been like a big mallet. Um, we know they had metallurgy in those days uh, because we saw it back in Genesis 4, in fact, where it talked about iron and bronze and so on. But they probably didn't have saws, but they definitely had to use hammers to, uh, you know, shape the wood with chisels or whatever sharp instruments they would have had. And certainly to pound those things into place. And they used big dowels to hold them together and so on. So there would have been a lot of hammering. Okay, ham, bang, 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 day after day after day after day. And I want to think about that sound. I, I was intrigued as Don was preaching about this last week because it would, it, it, it's just like the other sounds we talked about. It would divide. There'll be two different kind of reactions to it. So first, I want to think about what did that sound mean to Noah? Well, it meant many things. Imagine Noah working on the ark. And by the way, you've got to dismiss all the cartoon pictures you have of Noah you know, is as a little plastic guy, you know, with big sandals and the beard, you know, or some kind of cartoon. He was a real guy, just like you or me. Okay, a real, he was a real person, and he really did this. Uh, as, he's, as he's hammering away, I, I think, first of all, it, what it meant, it was a pleasing sound to Noah. Why? Well, because he knew he was pleasing God by doing it. There's nothing better... And if you're a Christian, you know what I'm talking about. Then knowing you're in the center of God's will. Is there? Isn't that great? You know, you know you're where the Lord wants you. You're doing his will, not yours. Praise God. It's a great place to be. And Noah was there and he knew it. God had told him what to do and now he's doing it. And he's happy as a clam because of that. Uh, secondly, just the idea. Um, we have several people in the chapel that are good with their hands uh, in flowers and so on. Uh, he was working with his hands and there's there's some satisfaction in just working with their hands isn't there you know whether it's working in the garden or building an ark 
there's, there's a satisfaction in the craftsmanship. In this particular case, by the way, uh, you know, the skeptics always uh, rush in and say, well, he never could have done that. You know, he doesn't know how to do it and so on. Well, uh, they, don't, they don't know God. That's why they talk like that. So you have to excuse them. Okay. This is silly. If the God who created the earth tells somebody to build an ark, you think he's going to, oh, no, I forgot. He doesn't know how to do that. You know. Let, let me read a couple of passages, but just about the tabernacle. That was another thing God commanded somebody to build. Listen to what it says, how, how God made sure that it was done right. So you shall speak to all who are gifted artisans, whom I, this is God speaking, whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him, that he may minister me as priest. Y- y- did you hear that? God filled them with a special spirit of wisdom so that they knew how to do what he commanded them. Then later about the tabernacle itself, it says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge, and in all manner of workmanship, to design artistic works, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting jewels for setting, in carving wood, and to work in all manner of workmanship. And indeed, I have appointed with him Aholab, the son of Ahissamach, of the tribe of Dan. And I put wisdom in the hearts of all the gifted artisans that they may make all that I have commanded you. Now that makes sense, doesn't it? Doesn't that sound like the God of the Bible? He didn't even pick these guys because they're naturally talented. He gave it to them. And so I'll promise you it turned out just right. And so it was with Noah and his sons if, if they helped him, which they probably did. But imagine here, skilled craftsmen from God. Which tells us, and we can use some other verses to reinforce this, no matter what skill or talent you have, you realize you got it from God. So if you've been going around bragging what a great whatever you are, you've, you're misplaced in, in where the praise belongs. Okay, Let me read a verse to you here. It's, it's a verse in the New Testament. It's in the form of three questions. For who makes you to differ from another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Ah. You see, we can deduce from that verse, particularly the second question, what do you have that you did not receive? The implied answer to that is what? Nothing. That's right. So you may have been complimented for your looks or your skills or your abilities or whatever it is about you, and you go, man, yeah, I'm great. You just found out something. Everything that you have that you've been confident about came from the Lord. In fact, let's put it this way. If you take out all the abilities and skills and looks and all the positive things about you, humanly speaking, that you have, that God gave you, do you know what you'd have left? That's right. Nothing. Have you ever thanked him? The second thing we can learn uh, from this uh, principle that God uh, enabled Noah, certainly he had to have, when he commands something, he makes sure it works, okay? And so the other example is this book right here. It's amazing to me how people can think, look, this, this is God's only word to us. Do you realize that? Don't look anyplace else. This is it right here, the Bible, okay? He spoke once. He caused it to be written down by men. And people go off and they think, oh, man, uh, it's too bad, you know. We've just lost the true sense of it over the centuries. You can't even trust it anymore, you know. Hello? 
And you have to forgive them again because they don't know God when they talk like that. Listen here, the God of the Bible who spoke the world into existence, who sent his only son to die for my sins and yours, I think he might kind of know how to, you know, make sure that this thing doesn't get perverted over the years so that right now in 2008, I can hear the message and be saved through it. Huh? But see, the problem is we bring God down to our levels because if, it, yeah, if, if we were responsible for it, you might as well throw it out the window. But it's not, it's him. So you can trust it implicitly. <clears throat> uh, what else? Uh, what, what else did the sound of the hammering uh, bring to Noah's mind? I think also it, it, he experienced a lot of thoughts as, as he was working on the art. Certainly, he had to be troubled. Think about it a second. What did God just told him? The end of all flesh has come before me. Wow. Each stroke is bringing him closer to the end of life on earth. That had to trouble him, you know. And what a burden he must have had. For the people around him fourth <clears throat> there was both fear and comfort i think in the sound of that hammer for certainly comfort he knew it was going to be his and his family's salvation because he believed god he believed that when god said i'm going to destroy all life on earth he he believed that was true it was as if he could see it happening right now and he feared rightly so what god was going to do that's not a small thing to hear about and take lightly we know that because it says in Hebrews, by faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household. That's remarkable, isn't it? Listen to this. God has said that he's going to destroy all, all life on earth. And there's only one guy in his family that are fearful. That's pretty remarkable, isn't it? Everybody else is going around like, you know, there's no tomorrow, which there isn't. It's just like today. Only believers in God's word can see the future. You know, you have people, there's a, there's a psychic thing with a big red hand up there near where I live, you know. And uh, you can supposedly go in and find out. Don't, don't listen to that stuff. Did you know that believers can see the future, though? Did you know that? I can tell you right now. I, this is certain. Number one, Jesus Christ is going to come again. I, I'll pro look if he came the first time and died and suffered. Oh, oh woo, he is going to come the second time and reign. OK, but I know it because God says so. That's absolutely guaranteed. I don't know who's going to win the World Series or the Super Bowl, but I can tell you, Jesus is going to come again. He's going to take me when he comes and he's going to take every person who knows Jesus Christ in this room and in the world. To himself at first at the first at the rapture there's going to be a period of great suffering for the world the people who are left behind called the tribulation i know that because god says it's going to happen and then finally when it's all said and done jesus is going to come back permanently and he's going to rule over the earth for a thousand years that's pretty good huh i can tell the future now i don't it's interesting i wish i could see every heart here and and look inside and see which ones really deep down inside believe that and which ones are going, oh, man, what a bunch of malarkey. Because there are both kinds here. God knows. Well, I think also mixed with all these other things, you know, there was a real thankfulness and worship for God. You know, thankfulness that God had, had told him in advance so he could get ready, you know. 
All of this, all of these things went through Noah's heart, I think, for that hundred years as he was working, simply because he believed God. He could see the unseen. What about to the other, other people? Well, this is the, this is the sound that divides. So now you got people who, when they listen to that sound, it's, they, they react entirely differently. Now, I think there might have been a few people uh, who mocked, you know, that's always the standard thing for stand-up comics, right? You know, about the mockers and so on. You, you kind of think everybody in the world came and gathered around Noah to mock him or something. Uh, I, no, we'll find out that's not, that wasn't the case. It might have been an irritation to some, a nuisance to others. However, we know that most, to most people, you know what it was? Nothing. It was apathy, indifference. They didn't care. That was, that was the vast majority of the people. It meant absolutely nothing to them. How do we know that? Because Jesus tells us. That's why. It's so neat, isn't it, when Jesus adds commentary to things in the Old Testament that we wouldn't have known, but he knew. And Jesus has the graciousness to tell us in the Gospels what it was like in the days of Noah. Listen to what Jesus says. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. He's not saying they're, you know, going out, uh, hooping it up. What he's saying is they were doing the same old, same old. What they'd always been doing. Sound familiar? Until the day that Noah entered the ark. Interesting. And did not know until the flood came and took them away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Isn't that interesting? It's just like today. Where is the promise of his coming? That's out of Second Peter. That's what people say. That's what people say. And that's what they said then. You know? Noah was in a category of the believers. He believed what God said. Everybody else said, forget it. It's a bunch of baloney. And it continues to this day. I, uh, it's great preparing sermons nowadays with the Internet. I just sit there at the computer and I'm typing away with WordPad. And uh, when I want an illustration now, you know, if I suspect there's one out there, I just type in a few keywords on Google. And I get on these two here, they came up first match. First one was seashells and Everest. From www.mountain.org. This, this was the question. Why are seashells found on Mount Everest? Quote, millions of years ago. Mount Everest was not a mountain at all. It was underneath the ocean. A lot has changed since then, no kidding. The outer skin of the earth, both land and sea, rides on gigantic plates. Over millions of years, these moving plates collide with one another to form spectacular mountains. I don't find that in here anywhere, do you? Well, there's numbers to support this. You ready? This is from www.extremescience.com. Quote, they've also determined that the Himalayan mountains are still growing higher at a rate of about two and a half inches a year. That's, that's it right there. You understand? Two and a half inches a year. You back calculate. At two and a half inches a year, how long did it take for Everest to get where it is today? Isn't that good? Makes sense, right? Yes? If you think about it, that means in the last 26,000 years, the Himalayas have risen almost a mile into the upper reaches of the Earth's atmosphere. You believe that? I don't. 
there's a there are two fatal mistakes that are made here. By the way, uh, here, I'll expose one of them right now. What they're saying is the mountains are moving two and a half inches a year. Well, if they move two and a half inches a year, how many uh, years did it take to get up to 30,000 feet? Okay. Sounds good. That's like, let's suppose you're a, a, a young person at home and you, and you know a family down from L.A. and they have kids. You like their kids. You know, you can hardly wait. You know they're going to come up and visit you. And you can't wait to see your friend, right? And so uh, you're in the house and uh, you hear some commotion at the front door and your dad says, hey, our friends are here. And you go running out there to see your, your, your friends from L.A. And you get there just as they're pulling into the parking spot. They're going one mile an hour and then they stop. Now, you're a smart kid. And you immediately think, let's see now, you, based on that speed, they're going a mile an hour. How long did it take them to get here? And you, you're really sharp, you know, a mile an hour, 400 miles to L.A. So how long did it take them to get here? Very good, 400 hours. That's right. And you're amazed at how much your friends are willing to do just to come and see you. huh? <laughs> now, you know, they can't drive nonstop 24 hours a day. 400 hours is a little over six, 16 days. So they had to have rested and eaten, you know, slept overnight and so on. So it, it took them over a month just to get up here to see you. Isn't that great? Can you tell me what's wrong with that assumption? Huh? The car wasn't always going one mile an hour. The fatal assumption I made there was that the car had always been doing what I saw it doing when I looked at it. Okay. Is there any reason to assume that? No. Listen to what God says. It's amazing to me how right on target the word of God is in 2008. You'd think it'd be outdated by now. Listen to what God says about it. Knowing this first, the scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust. There's the key. That's what they want to do. They want to do what they want to do. Saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, here it is, listen, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Ah, you got that? You know, you know what the phrase for geologists is, by the way, on this minuscule movement of mountains is called continental creep. And so they see continental creep and they say, well, it's continental creep that created the, the land masses and the mountains and everything. Because we haven't seen any other kind of movement. Therefore, that has to be it. For this, they willfully forget. I want you to notice how God said that. It's, he says they willfully forget something. They choose not to remember this. That by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. The source of power there was not continental creep. Did you catch what it was? What was it? Uh, let me read it again. That by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water. What's the source of power? There you go. The word of God. So it says there first he made them to begin with. Okay. He, the word of God does three things here, by the way. By which the world that then existed perished. The by which is the word of God. Again. 
being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, it's preserved right now by the word of God. That's the only reason it's holding together. That's what, that's what it says. And it says he's holding it. It's like the, the buildings, the tenements in New York, you know, where they have condemned written on it. You don't want to go near that because the wrecking ball is coming in tomorrow. He's got a big sign, condemned. He's just holding it right now for the day of judgment. That's what that says. And here, this is really the fundamental difference between a believer and an unbeliever. You see, a person who knows the Lord and, and believes the word of God, that's, that's the same thing. Okay. We see unseen things. We see new things that we didn't see before. Why? Because God tells us. And all of a sudden, when you get saved, a whole new world opens up that you never knew was there before. Isn't that true? Both in the present and in the future. So if you don't know the Lord, you have to forgive us, okay? If we act a little differently, it's because we see things you don't. Like Noah. Uh, it was interesting how Gary pointed out that verse. I was going to point it out, but he saved me the trouble. Did you catch that? It, it talks about believers here. Heaven above is softer blue. Earth around is sweeter green. Something lives in every hue. Christless eyes have never seen. That's right. And I remember standing in Yosemite as a backpacker back in the uh, <clears throat> late 60s and watching the sun go down over Waterwheel Falls up in uh, Tuolumne Meadows. And I wasn't a Christian and I was just dying inside because I knew there was something more. There was a beauty that was telling me something and I didn't know what it was and it drove me crazy. I remember that feeling of frustration because I didn't know the Lord. Now, when I stand in a place like that, I'll tell you that I see the unseen now and I praise God because I see it's not the beauty in the creation itself. It's the beauty of the person behind it who made it. And I love him for it. You see. On the other hand, and I, I've been there, I know what it's like. Unbelievers do the opposite. When they're told that there are things they don't see and things that are going to happen that they don't want to hear about, like judgment, you know what they do? They make up a replacement story. Okay? Something that they want to believe. And they call that the truth. For example, Jesus is not going to come back. In fact, we're not even sure he ever lived in the first place. And you, and you uh, say that loud enough and long enough and pretty soon you hope it's going to come true. That's the difference. There you go, right there. What do you want to do? You want to believe the word of God or something that you made up because it's something you want to believe? That's kind of scary, don't you think? The bottom line is when it's all said and done, it's the truth that's going to determine what happens. Okay? Now that sound might have been distracting to you. But to somebody else, it's a great sound, isn't it? Okay, well, uh, we talked about the, the impression that the sound of the hammering made to people while it was going on. What's interesting to me is, is how it sounds differently as time goes on. Now, let's think about later, okay, when the flood begins. Noah's in the ark, and they're, and they're being carried away. How do you think he, he thought about it then? Well, I'll tell you. As he thought back, maybe he had sore arms, you know, didn't bother him. He was uh, happy. He was thankful that he'd done all that hammering. It was a good thing. Secondly, uh, he had greater faith. He had stronger faith. Think about it. Finally, after a hundred years of waiting and waiting and waiting, 
hammering, hammering, hammering. God had said there's bad stuff coming down the road and it hadn't come. Well, now it's come. And he's experiencing it. Boy, his faith just grew up about 50% right there, huh? God said it had happened and it's happened. Thank God I believed him. And certainly mixed in that too. Boy, think of the sorrow it must have waved over him. All, all of these at the same time, the sorrow as he realizes what's happening to everybody outside. And it's too late for them. <clears throat> well, what about the other people? You know what? There's been a real change in their reaction to the hammering of, uh, of Noah <clears throat> as, the, as the deluge begins. Can you imagine? This is rain like you've never seen. I've been driving down the freeway sometimes. You ever had this? Where it's coming down another sound. It's coming down so hard that as you're driving, you can't even see the car in front of you. You ever had that? I mean, like I can barely see the end of my hood. Well, it's worse than that. We can't imagine the amount of, of, of water that came down in the deluge. If you know anything about the canopy theory, you know, and the waters above and so on, which is probably uh, true. It, it was just incredible. And then the fountains of the deep were broken up. There was water coming from below, water from everywhere. Incredible amount of water. Imagine being one of those who had uh, uh, not believed Noah before, and now all of a sudden this starts, you know, one afternoon, this, this horror, and it's not, it's not letting up. And you start to get a little worried, you know? Wow. You remember that hammering. You know it stopped. All of a sudden, it's not such a weird sound anymore. You know? You look back and you think, hey, maybe Noah wasn't such a fool after all. I think there was a brief span there where those who perished in the flood heard it as God intended it, the hammering. They realized now that it was a warning to them and they should have heeded it. But they know also that it's too late now. And I, I, can't, I just can't imagine being there because there's no hope. It was, and I think also they would have realized that it was a reminder of the patience of God because they heard it for 100 years. Man, it's, it says that in the New Testament. Uh, during that time, the patience of God waited. I love that phrase. During that time of, of Noah building the ark, the patience of God waited. And they can look back on all that time when now they realize God was waiting. It wasn't that he wasn't going to do it. He was waiting for them. A hundred years. How long has God waited for you? Well, I think it goes without saying, man, there was deep regret. Huh? Wow. You know, Noah was right. I should have listened. <clears throat> I think also, if people thought about it long enough, in the brief span they had to live, there would have been a strong desire to hear it again. Huh? Don't you think? You know, man, just, I'd like to go back. I want to do it over again. But they can't. It's too late. Amazing how the sound has changed in their mind, isn't it? Now it means something. They laughed it off before, or they just dismissed it. And all of a sudden now it's come back upon them and it's too late. Well, this scene from Noah is being repeated today. Do you know that? Interestingly enough, <clears throat> there's, another, there's, a, there's another sound of a hammer. <clears throat> it's a different hammer. It's the one that nailed Jesus to the cross. But it's the sound of a hammer. Now, I was actually going to bring in a hammer and get one of those big spikes down at Orchard Supply. But I thought it would be a little too graphic, so I didn't do it. So you're going to have to picture in your mind the ringing sound that that 
Roman hammer made on that big spike is they nailed Jesus' feet and hands to that rough cross. But that's, that's the sound. What does that sound mean to you? Honestly, think about yourself. Think about that sound. What does it mean to you? Is it a sound of reassurance or a sound of annoyance? Or just like most people and like those in Noah's day, it doesn't mean anything. Be honest. You know, <laughs> this is the way I was for 25 years. You just don't care. It's called apathy. Eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage. Job, school, friends, internet, cell phones. That's what's important to me. Not the sound of that hammer. Like the hammering on the ark, the ringing of the hammer that drove the nails through Jesus' feet and hands continues to sound down through the centuries and it divides people into two parties. Which side are you on? To one group, it's, it sounds out the love of Jesus. You know, when I think about that sound, you know what? I think about how much Jesus loved me. It tells me how far he was willing to go to save me. It's a precious sound. And it's mixed with sorrow because I realize just how much he suffered for me. Sadly, to most people, sometimes it's irritating, sometimes it's a joke, but to most people, it doesn't mean anything. Well, we're going to finish up here by being like Noah. Noah, it says in the New Testament, was a preacher of righteousness. He hammered and he preached. And I'd be remiss in not saying a word or two about this other hammer. Number one, God is going to judge the world in general and you in particular for sins against him. I know that because he said it, okay? It's no joke. We have God's word for it. However, number two, like the ark, he has already prepared a way of escape for you. But it wasn't a Roman hammer that did the work. There's a third hammer. Did you know that? On that dark morning in Jerusalem, there was another hammer, and it was the Lord Jesus himself who was using it. How do I know that? Well, I'm sorry if I keep referring to it, but it's here. This, this Bible tells me that there was another hammer. This is what it says in Colossians. Jesus has canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us. He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to his cross. Praise God. I love that hammer. That's a sweet hammer to me. Is that a sweet hammer to you? Think about it. This verse says, Jesus took the certificate of debt. That's the charges against me for my sin. It says he took it out of the way and Jesus himself nailed it on his cross and removed it. And he answered for it, so I don't have to. Praise God. Now, there's a hammer that's sweet. That's a, that's a beautiful sound to me. How's it sound to you? It's the most beautiful sound I've ever heard. Second only to his voice when I hear it when I meet him. And now, his cross stands ready to save anybody who will flee to it for safety. Just like the ark. It still stands unchanged. And Jesus is waiting to receive you there. And now we're in the time, just like then, when the patience of God is waiting, waiting. And just as the Lord called to Noah to come into the ark and then shut him safely in, so he calls to you to come to the cross today. Believe in Jesus. 
And he will put you in Christ for eternity where you'll be safe. Which will it be for you? There's only two choices. The cross of Jesus puts us in one of two sides. And the sound of his hammer is either an assurance of eternal salvation or it's a proclamation of judgment. Which is it going to be? Listen, if God didn't spare his own son in answering for your sin, how do you think he could spare you if you refuse his offer? No way. Go ahead and turn in your hymnals. We're going to close with this hymn, number 393. There are so many sounds that uh, sort people out. There's another one. You know what it is? It's a singing of hymns. I'll watch people sometimes when we're singing these. And I can tell there are people that are just singing for all their worth from the heart because they, they believe the words. And there are other people who either aren't singing or they're looking around or uh, they're listening to their uh, iPod or something. Anyway, I love this song. It is well with my soul. And I think uh, the uh, writer of this book, uh, him and I would get along real well because of how he wrote uh, the third verse. That hammer means a lot to him and it means a lot to me. Does it mean a lot to you? Listen to what he says about it. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to his cross. And I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, my soul. You're going to have to excuse me if I get teary-eyed. No sweeter sound in the world than the hammer of Jesus. Think about it. We'll close with this. Gary?